The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke, chapter 19, beginning at the 20th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked him, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. Father God, may the words that I share make sense because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It may not surprise uh, most of you, but I actually really like preaching. But this morning, I'm that little bit extra excited to be preaching. I have preached on Palm Sunday before, but I don't always, in fact, I don't usually preach on Palm Sunday. And as today's approach, I've actually found myself getting more and more excited about preaching on this particular passage on this particular day. Our Easter theme this year is that Easter has never mattered more. So in the week ahead, you're going to hear us say words like, Maundy Thursday has never mattered more. Good Friday has never mattered more. Holy Saturday has never mattered more. And of course, this time next week, uh, we will be um, saying with big smiles on our faces and perhaps chocolate already in our hair, um, that Easter has never mattered more. As I was preparing for the, uh, this morning's message, I actually became more and more convinced that Palm Sunday has never mattered more. Today's Bible passage from Luke's Gospel, like the accounts of Matthew and Mark, is rich with profound imagery. It's rich with revelation and it's rich with the fulfilment of prophecy, which if you carefully step through it, as many sermons have done that I've listened to over the years, it becomes glaringly 
obvious. But there's one problem. Palm Sunday was profoundly misunderstood by all those who witnessed it on that day. In fact, Palm Sunday is the wrong conclusion. We know that many in the crowds who hailed Jesus as king on that first Palm Sunday will be crying out for his crucifixion when it comes to Friday. They're expecting a mighty warrior-like king who will drive out the Romans. But seeing Jesus held by Roman officials, weak and vulnerable, they decide that he's not the king that they wanted after all. But before we get too judgy with the crowd, I can't help but wonder if the church over the years has used Palm Sunday as the wrong conclusion as well. All the things that we now associate with Palm Sunday, the crowds, the parades, Jesus as the centre of attention, giving people what they want, Jesus that the majority agree with, Jesus who's popular. Come on, that's the wrong conclusion. I also think that the pattern of a church calendar when it comes to Palm Sunday has somewhat devolved Palm Sunday into the happy bit before the sad bit before the other happy bit which is the wrong conclusion. One of the reasons that I think Palm Sunday matters more than ever is that we find ourselves living in a world that is increasingly jumping to a quick conclusion. We read a headline, watch a news report, a TikTok video, an Instagram or Facebook reel. We hear a soundbite or a statement taken out of context or without context at all, and we rush to make up our minds, don't we? I admit it, I do it on a regular basis. I am highly opinionated. I also have a personality trait, which I pray is continuing to be redeemed, that I can be quick to judge others. I find, though, that the conclusions I jump most quickly to are those that already align with an opinion, an ideology, or belief that I already have, or perhaps I would like to have. There's actually a term for this. It's called confirmation bias which has a definition of the tendency to search for, interpret, favour and recall information in a way that confirms or supports your prior beliefs or values. And we see this in the crowd on that first Palm Sunday. There's a desperation for a release from Roman oppression, a release from religious and cultural coercion that does not benefit them. And so they look for an answer in that situation that confirms what they're already hoping for. 
and they also look to find it in Jesus. But that's the wrong conclusion. We still do this today. Jesus becomes the wish granter, the problem solver, the world put a right, put writer. That's not really a word, I don't think. So what should we be finding as our conclusion this Palm Sunday? What should we be thinking about today? Well, I wonder if it's actually helpful to put aside the noise of the crowd, to put aside and put down the palms that we're waving, which is easy to do in Luke's Gospel because it's actually the, only the cloaks in Luke's Gospel. Matthew and Mark have the, have the palms. To put aside the acclamation and the confirmation bias that exists that day and in us now. And look around the edges. But importantly, to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and what he does and what he says and his demeanour. And when we do this, hopefully you might agree with me that Palm Sunday has never mattered more. The verse that immediately precedes today's passage of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is at the end of the parable of the ten pounds that Jesus delivers at Zacchaeus' house. You know that little tax collector guy that climbs up the tree? Well, over dinner, Jesus tells this story of a would-be king that is going away to claim his royal title. While he's away, he gets 10 servants, gives them each a pound, and then comes back, and they all come back to him. One says he's made 10 more. One says he's, had, he's made five more. We don't find out what happened to the other seven, but one says he wrapped it up and hid it, and here it is, as you gave it to me. And this newly appointed king is not very happy. And the parable finishes with these words. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. Wowzers. That's full on, isn't it? But remember... These are words of the story. And we've been talking about story over the last couple of weeks. These are words of the story. They're not even Jesus' interpretation of the, of the story. In fact, Luke doesn't record Jesus interpreting this parable at all. He just says... Oh, too far. do 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 Yes, that's it. As he said this, after he said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. No explanation. He just drops these big heavy words and then gets on his way. So if there was any confirmation bias in Zacchaeus' home that day, it must have been jumping off the charts hearing Jesus use such animated words, such 
divisive and, and, and actionable words, maybe they were thinking, well, finally, Jesus is going to bring the heat. He's going to cool down the heavenly army and start smiting all those people who've been treating us in the way that we didn't want to be treated. Get rid of those Romans and put the world back to the way it should be. But that was the wrong conclusion, wasn't it? The question that the disciples and those gathered missed, what they should have been pondering was how different will Jesus be as king to this one that he's just explained? What kind of king will Jesus be after he enters Jerusalem? They should have continued to watch and to listen and to be open to what would come next. The disciples particularly should have had a pretty good inkling that Jesus was not going to be anything like the king in the parable and deliver the retribution that he promised. As we step into Holy Week, I wonder if we're asking the right questions. Are we asking what kind of king will Jesus be after he enters Jerusalem? Are we ready for Jesus to be actually who Jesus is and not some construct of our own personal confirmation bias? Are we ready to notice what Jesus actually does and why he does it? Are we ready to be surprised? Are we ready to be moved? Or are we really just fine with the way things are at the moment? Or maybe we're not fine, but we're really not willing to go to the effort to make it fine. Which Jesus will you live out during this Easter season? In this period between Palm Sunday and Easter, I pray that we might find the right words to share the good news of the real Jesus. Otherwise, the stones might have to shout out. But I say, let's not leave it to the stones. So see, we're going to go around the edges of this passage. So I want to go to the other edge of this passage. Uh, the passage that Roger read is the exact um, right passage according to the Anglican lectionary of what we should be reading for the liturgy of palms on a Palm Sunday in an, in an Anglican church all around the world. But I think it actually stops too soon. Two verses too soon, to be precise. Jesus is still doing stuff that we should be taking notice of. And in the edge of this encounter, in the edge of this entry into Jerusalem, I think we can easily miss something that is incredibly profound, that matters more than ever now. Let's read those two verses. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you even you, had only recognised on this day 
the things that make for peace, that now they are hidden from your eyes. This is the response that Jesus has to the crowd coming to the wrong conclusion. He wept. He wept at their failure to recognize who he really was and what they could be or what they could do in response. Their failure to recognize the things that make for peace. Are these not words for the times we're living in right now? The things that make for peace. I wonder if Jesus looks out over Jerusalem now and looks at the failure of recognition that's still present in Israel and Palestine. I wonder if he does the same over Ukraine. I wonder if he does the same over the Gold Coast. And I especially wonder if he does the same over the church, over you and I. Jesus' lament is because God's people fail to recognize the things that make for peace. They fail to recognize who Jesus truly was and is and is to come. And so this Holy Week, I wonder can we finally answer Jesus' call to recognition? At the beginning of the month, Pope Francis said these words. Now, in the night of the war that has fallen upon humanity, let us not allow the dream of peace to fade. The dream of peace fades when those who Jesus has called fail to recognize the things that make for peace. I know it's not very likely that anybody listening to my words this morning in this room or online would have the opportunity or the capacity to get Putin or Zelensky into a room so they could hug it out. But I'm also pretty sure that this is not where Jesus is calling us to start. Our call to recognition starts by laying aside our confirmation bias to see things how they really are and to see people for who they really are. Rather than just rushing to a conclusion and finding the conclusion we reach is either incomplete or just wrong, As we lead in to Holy Week, I wonder, can we, pray, can we pay a little bit more attention for a little bit longer? Can we listen more than we speak? 
Can we stay interested a little bit longer rather than getting distracted by the next headline or soundbite? Can we stay curious a little bit longer so that we might seek out where Jesus might be found? And we might have the opportunity to see our world and those within it for how they really are? Can we discern the things that make for peace in our own small spheres of influence as a start? If we are called to see the world as it is, I wonder if that starts by our attitude towards the way that we see others around us, our friends, our family, the strangers, those people that we see in the headlines. As I was reflecting on this, it struck me that the, perhaps the greatest gift that we can give another person is to see them in the same way that Jesus sees them. And how does Jesus see them? Jesus sees them as loved, forgiven, capable, called, gifted, blessed. I could keep going. If we were able to do that, would that not be one of the things that could make for peace? These attitudes, these approaches are things that we can actually do right now. Wherever you are online, you can look around you know, and, and be challenged by the way that you look at another person. In this room, you can look across our congregation and make the same commitment to look at that person in the way that Jesus sees them. I actually think to see people in this way has never mattered more. While we might not be able to immediately resolve world conflict and lead to world peace, a church that practices seeing others in this way could be a remarkable change agent for peace in our world and in our time. And if the church, those who Jesus has called and has chosen and has loved and has set aside, don't do this, who will? The stones? This Palm Sunday, we have an opportunity to keep the dream of peace alive, to reach the right conclusion, or at least to continue to ask the questions. This year, as every year, we begin Holy Week in praise to a king whose power is not that of tanks and fighter planes, drones and supersonic missiles. This week, we see the power of God to do something that no army can do, to give life, to resurrect, not to destroy love and life undermine and belittle. 
We see a God who can change hearts and destroy the power of sin and death once and for all. Jesus does this so that we might finally have the veil lifted from our eyes and recognize the things that lead to peace and start to see others in the same way that Jesus sees them, in the same way that Jesus sees us, that we might be able to give the gift of life those around us that we encounter, not because we're super good at stuff, we're wearing the right clothes or doing the right things, but because the Holy Spirit is at work in and through us and for no other reason. Could we do that? Or will our confirmation bias again blind us as we wait for those stones to shout out? Let's not leave it to the stones. This has never mattered more. Loving God, I pray on this Palm Sunday we can pay attention to your tears over the holy city of Jerusalem. Pray boldly that we might even be moved to tears ourselves. As we look over at our world, we look at our lives, we look at the way that we have judged and treated others. As we lead into this Holy Week, might we answer your call to recognition? Might we be beacons of life Might we be bearers of the things that make for peace. Amen.